Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It is the view from the opposition for the final time this season. This week it comes from Scott Trotter from Football London, who has the joys of covering Chelsea. Before I introduce Scott to the show, I just want to say a huge thank you to all the guests that we've had on the episodes of View from the Opposition. It's been a pleasure to get the insight into Newcastle United's opponents and we can't wait to have you back on next season. Scott, welcome back to the Everything is Black and White podcast. How are you keeping? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the end of the season after the season Chelsea have had. But yeah, very happy to be here. And how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm even better that we've got the introduction out of the way after the fourth time of trying. I'm very happy that one worked. <laughs> very professional. Um, very professional. Yes, yes. We're, that, that's exactly what we are. But yeah, I'm I'm good. We were just talking there off camera um, about there being nothing on this game for Newcastle United. And, and that is a good thing because had they lost to Leicester, I think the Newcastle of old might have crept back into the minds of... Newcastle United fans and maybe Chelsea would have picked up a win in the, the dream of Champions League football gone out the window. But as it was, Newcastle got the point against Leicester City and that was what they needed to qualify for the Champions League. So they can go down to Stamford Bridge with the pressure off. That said, we know what Eddie Howe's standards are like. He will want nothing but victory. And when you look at Chelsea, Scott, I can't say anything other than a victory for Newcastle United. Chelsea, with all due respect, are absolute garbage. Yeah, and that, that might even be being kind at times. Um, they've shown, you know, some, some flashes of late, but, you know, it, it's been well documented. Chelsea don't score goals and they don't win many matches. And there's a reason they're confined to the bottom half of the table, despite spending, you know, £600 million in the last 12 months, maybe something that might have been expected of, of Newcastle um, following their takeover. But, yeah, it's been a tough watch for Chelsea fans, you know, from pretty much the start of the season. And uh, Newcastle should certainly fancy coming away with, you know, a, a party if they can put Chelsea under pressure like they did in, in the home game earlier this season. It seems like Chelsea fans now kind of expect to get beaten by the better sides, like Manchester United, as they did on Thursday, potentially like they do against Newcastle. Is the fact that this is the final home game of the season, it's been so bad for Chelsea. There is that expectation that they, they probably will get beat on, on Sunday, but they don't really care because they just want that reset button to come and they can rebuild in the summer and start again next season. Yeah, I think there's definitely a sense of that. Um, I mean, the fans were singing against Manchester United, you're nothing special, uh, we lose every week. Um, so you definitely get the vibe of, of how the feeling is that, the crowd started to thin out a little bit in the home games since there's been nothing sort of riding on it. Um, whether that'll be a little bit different with it being the last game this weekend, I'm not sure. But it is just very much getting to the you know the final line and maybe seeing Richie Pochettino arrive soon and just getting through it. I think Lampard's tried a few different things of late. You know, sometimes the fans are more unhappy with the team selections than others have. But against United. There, there were players that people have wanted to see, the likes of Nani Madueke, the likes of Mikhailo Mudrik, and, you know, as has been kind of common, nothing's really worked for Lampard uh, since he, he's arrived and it's been the same result. So, yeah, it, it really is just getting to the end of the season now for Chelsea and, as you, as you say, looking to reset and maybe ship a few players out as well. You mentioned there the chance they were singing against Manchester United. How has it got this bad? This is Chelsea. 
you've mentioned there the amount of money they've spent, and obviously the the biggest thing that stands out is that they've spent all that money and they haven't really got a number nine up front that can score any goals. But that just plays a small part, I would imagine, in how they've got to this stage where they could still finish what is as low as fourteenth, I think 14th, it is. Yeah. Um yeah, I think coming into the season there was certainly issues present in the Chelsea squad. I don't think anybody expected things to go quite as badly as they have done, but you know, the likes of not having a forward, we know there was discontent with how preseason panned out and you know they were in the US for a long time and there was lots of travelling, but Nothing really suggested that they would be going down to 14th in the following season. I think it is a team that's been in transition for a long time. The Champions League win maybe papered over some of those cracks. But over the last two or three seasons, the number of chances Chelsea have created, the number of goals he scored, it's felt like it's trended downwards. And and this season, I think they've performed below XG as well. But the average in a goal the game and that's simply not good enough for a team like Chelsea they for a large stretch of the season they had a pretty good defensive record I think um, only Newcastle and Man City were better for a long time that started to slip now with obviously the conceded four against Man U um, there's been change in managers the the squads over 30 players big now it's there's just not a, a semblance of, of a real team um in great contrast to Newcastle, I think that the they've had some you know brief highlights. Enzo Fernandez has looked really good since he came in. Lewis Hall has looked really good as a, as a prospect this season. But and Lampard mentioned this on a Thursday night. There's been some thing glaring missing. He mentioned the the training output hasn't always been the best throughout the team, and I think. He noted that when training's going well, everybody's competing in training, competing for every spot, and you can feel the positive momentum go forward. And Chelsea haven't got any of that. The, the momentum's kind of stalled. That they've found some in brief spots in the Champions League against Real Madrid. They have put in a good performance, but you know, th- there's been so little to play for for so long now. There's not really been anything for the squad to galvanize behind, other than not being bad or trying to impress a manager, it's it's really kind of just sucked the life out of things to a large extent. You mentioned there the change of managers. Obviously, Green Potter comes in with all his coaching staff. He then gets the, the boots. They've then appointed Lampard, club legends, as a caretaker manager. That's not worked at all. They then are going to go and get Machu Pochettini. But for me... I, if I was Pochettino, Pochettino, I wouldn't actually... I've got his name wrong there the first time around. The second time around, I got Pochettino. I do know who I'm talking about, ladies and gents. It's the end of the season. I'm falling apart. As I was saying though, Scott, Pochettino, clearly a talented manager, did very well at Spurs, did all right over at PSG. He would have had other options as well, but he's been persuaded by the Chelsea project. But if I was him, I don't know if I would have taken the job because... It, it's not going to be an overnight solution. And we've seen that the time that Potter got, which wasn't very long at all, you know, he was trying to build something. Will Pochettino get the same kind of, will he get a different time length to change things around? Or if, or if they find themselves in the same position, you know, if they're mid-table come December, is he is he going to get the boot? Yeah, it's a really difficult one. As he said, when they kind of appointed Potter, that the whole idea was that he would be the long-term project manager. 
I think it was made very clear and kind of brief and early doors that it didn't matter if they didn't get in the Champions League to start off with. Um, obviously, things descended further after that, um, and they decided to part ways in, in uh, April. And I think that was perhaps a sign of how much the crowd had turned at that point. Um, I think they'd not long got a run of decent results and then defeat Aston Villa kind of tipped things over the edge, but the, the crowd had really turned it. It wasn't taken much to, um, you know, really for the Stamford Bridge to get on the Chelsea crowds back. And I think the owners felt that maybe the tide was turning to anger being directed their way as well. And, and maybe that had something to do with it. All the talk for Pochettino's three-year contract, as you say, whether you can really buy into that after what happened to Potter, it kind of is questionable. Um, I think, like you, it's a really difficult one. I, I think all the players have spoken about the project when they've arrived at the club, so maybe there is something there behind the scenes that does look really promising and really good. But, you know, I think this is going to take a long time. We were speaking at the game last night, and, you know, what what can you expect from Chelsea next season? The, there's a great deal, number of teams competing for those Champions League spots now. Um I guess Newcastle will be one of those next season. Um, they'll be hoping anyway. And even just for the European spots with Brighton, and it, it's not going to be an easy solution. Um, I think there's a lot of talent at Chelsea. But for people to really be enthused, they need to get rid of players. They need to see players buy into what Pochettino can do. And there will need to be some momentum just to get rid of that possibility of going, oh, no, not again, What what's going on? Um I think for the owner's credibility, they will need to stick with Pochettino, providing you know things are trending behind the scenes in the right direction, even if the results don't always come. And I think what is probably big for Pochettino is that they have talked to him before um, in September before Potter arrived, but maybe on this occasion, after things have gone so badly wrong, he can get a little bit more power than he would have had fitting into the Chelsea structure that they were trying to set up. Maybe you can have a little bit more say about which players stay, which players go, and you know maybe which staff you can bring. And I guess to some extent, maybe it's a bit more of a free hit. Things you would like to think can't get any worse for Chelsea, um, and maybe he can be the saviour. <laughs> Wow, that is, that is quite the statement. Things can't get any worse. Shows you how much money they've got to play with. If he is the free hit, though, as well, because he'll not be cheap. A lot has been made of the owner, uh, Scott, and, and, and some comparisons made to the way Newcastle owners have gone about their business up here on Tyneside, where you know they've supplied the funds, but they've left it to more qualified people in Dan Ashworth, Steve Nixon, the chief scout, and, of course, Eddie Howe. Now, I'm just talking about looking from the outside in when it comes to Chelsea, but when you do that, you do get a sense that the owner is very involved and he you know, he maybe didn't quite understand how English football works, the business side of it, the football side of it. Does he get an unfair press or has he been a little bit too involved and that has played a part in where Chelsea find themselves? Yeah, I think last summer certainly served as a bit of a reality check. Um, I think that transition between the two different ownership groups was maybe a little bit too quick. They maybe done away with experience in the likes of Petr Cech and Marina Granovskaya when that was still needed. Um, the owners took a really leading role in that first summer. And in fairness to them, I think a lot of people probably thought that a lot of good business was done, maybe overpaying on somebody like Marco Carrera, but he was, you know, Brighton's player of the year the, the season before. They paid a lot of money for Wesley Fofana and 
a lot of these signings haven't really, you know, hit the ground running uh, across the board. I think you start to question the sort of decision making when you see Pierre Emerick Aubameyang signed, you know, on deadline day, and then a week later his kind of big connection Thomas Tuchel sacks that that didn't really line up. But since that point, you start to see the structure coming in. They obviously added more from Brighton, Paul and Stanley. They've had Joe Shields from Southampton, Lawrence Stewart from Monaco. And they're, they're really trying to build a, a sporting structure that can sustain not just Newcastle, but maybe a multi-club model as well. And Bedard Egbali is the, the guy who's been really involved with, along with Todd Bowley. He, I guess, got business done in January to an extent. He worked with the new kind of directors and he is kind of pushed and got the deal over the line for Enzo Fernandez. I mean, if you're spending 106 million pounds, maybe deals aren't that hard, but he he really did kind of push that and make sure that got done. And for all, he's maybe not repaid the fee yet. He, he does look like a real prospect and everybody speaks really highly of him. Um, so yeah, I think there certainly should have maybe relied on the experience that was at the club more. I think they will have learned a lot this season. Um, I think it, it's almost easy to forget when you look at the men's picture because that's where all the investment is. But the women's teams have had a successful season. They made lots of early signings last summer. They're already doing business. The development team had a pretty successful season bouncing back from the year before where they were nearly relegated and they've had investment. So there are promising things. Just, you know, there's still rankles behind the scenes, the Chelsea of um, are seeing, you know, people leave still, they're still bringing new people in and it's just not settled yet. And it's nearly a year since the takeover was announced. So you would like that to settle down a bit more. So I think this coming, you know, three months before the start of next season, it's going to be a real big test. And it's going to be a big test to not only bring players in, but ship players out because as you mentioned, they've got a massive squad and that can't be good, I guess, for, for, for the unity. You've kind of alluded to it already. And we'll go back to the to the, the incoming manager. Is it, because it, it's not just a tactical thing, isn't it? It's not just like Potter had the wrong tactics or Frank Lampard's got the wrong tactics. It's It, it goes deeper than that. And it it is within the squad as well. There is a, not everyone's united. There's, I, I guess, there's little click, clicks here and there. It's a massive job for anybody coming in, regardless of, the fact that you are one of the best managers, you know, in, in, in football today. Yeah, certainly. And I think, you know, you would hear little snippets coming out about the, the, the change room needed to be made bigger at the training pitch. They were struggling to facilitate like two games of football being played rather than focusing on one. And it becomes just a bit, like you say, difficult. It's uh, unwieldy and, you know, Chelsea in the summer are perhaps used to having big squads that they need to cut down. They, they have a significant, number of players out on loan but you know I think they name 31 players on the website in the senior squad I think they've got 20 players out on loan so there's 50 bodies that you're going to have around if nothing's done before they return for pre-season there's a lot of pressure to get players out and while that uncertainty is kind of in the air can you can you really achieve lots of buy-in on on that first day of pre-season I think Chelsea had it last season where they took players like Ross Barkley, Marcus Alonso, Emerson Palmieri on their US tour. They never really had a future at Chelsea. And, you know, that was an opportunity what perhaps a young player could have had or a new signing could have had to to really be involved. So there's there's a lot of that to kind of sort out and really, you know, inspire players like Levi Colwell, like they've got a future at the club and can be really involved 
straight away. Um, but again, I think it's easy to talk about saying, oh, Chelsea need to trim the squad. But when teams know that Chelsea need to sell, you need to find teams that want these players. Likes of Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulitzer have apparently you know, wanted to leave in previous transfer windows. It's not happened. That There's a lot of pressure and, you know, Maybe some lower fees will be accepted because obviously you've got the kind of financial fair play thing lingering in the background. You know, Champions League football maybe takes a degree of pressure, but obviously you'll lose Champions League money. It's going to be really busy. And yeah, selling is right at the top of that priority list, I think. I'm just absolutely fascinated by it. And, and, And just on that, do you think it will work in terms of they will sell before they buy or because they've got a new manager coming in and because you can see the glaring weaknesses in the squad that, or in the first team that plays regularly, no striker, for example, they will still look to buy players while trying to sell these players. And as you see, they might not get to sell most of these players. So in, in reality, what you're doing is you're still just, you just add into an already overinflated squad. So by the time the window closes, you might have shipped out four, but you're probably going to brought in five or six because the new manager wants his own players in. Yeah, I think hopefully from from the club's perspective, they are developing a more cohesive environment. Um, so the targets now shouldn't be too dissimilar to, to what a new manager wants. Obviously, they will require his sign-off, I think. Um, but they, they do have transfer priorities like any club. They would like a striker. They would like another midfielder and a goalkeeper. To bring another goalkeeper, I think you've you've obviously got to look to sell either Kepa Isabelaga or Edu Mendy. Um, but because you know Chelsea have these salaries as well, they, they've tried to you know get Kepa away from the club, whether it be on loan or through a sale for a number of years. But his salary and his initial fee was just so vast that you struggle to find buyers. Um, and I guess the other additional thing Chelsea are looking to not let players get within the last two years of the contract, um, either signing them down or selling them on. And, and that's another kind of load of discussions that need to occur. Um, and as you say, it's just because there's so much to do in terms of sales, it does feel like it's going to be difficult to get rid of everybody that they need. And is it a case that maybe everybody has a price because you're going to have a list of players that you want to get out, but also you're going to have a list of players who, because you haven't got Champions League football, are going to want to leave and top sides are maybe going to try and come in and persuade them that their club is the place to be. The likes maybe of Conor Gallagher, perhaps who's been linked to Newcastle. Another one is is maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek. You know, players that Chelsea might not necessarily want to sell, but if someone comes knocking with a, a big bid, then are they likely to maybe say, okay, yeah, we need to make room we need the cash for financial fair play, et cetera, et cetera. We'll, we'll, we'll do a deal. Yeah, I think there certainly will be a degree of that. I think, don't get me wrong, if, if Pochettino comes in, I think he will be able to maybe have some unsellable players. I think that there's obviously a core he wants to build around, but we heard he really likes Mason Mount. That seems to be trending like Mount could leave. Um, he's not looking like he's going to sign a new deal at the moment. But you kind of hit the nail on the head. Players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Conor Gallagher are really in that kind of uh, spot where where they could stay, they could leave. Loftus-Cheek has, has drawn interest from AC Milan. I think he's only got a year in his contract left come the summer. Um, Conor Gallagher, I think, 
a lot of people would like to see at the club, but he is a, a sellable asset. He has drawn interest in January, as you noted, from Newcastle. Um, what we were told then, he was always happy to stay at the club as long as he was getting a chance. That might still be the case, but it's something the club will probably listen to, and, and that discussion will be had. Um, how many times does that discussion get had before somebody's open to making the move? I'm not, I'm not so sure. But there are going to be difficult decisions to be made. And I think a lot of players will be open to moves, like of Mateo Kovacic. He's, he is, seems set to leave at the moment. And there's still other kind of almost crazy situations that have arose where N'Golo Kante, we were told, his contract looked like it was going to be extended as long ago as February. Uh, you know, we're days away from the last game of the season. Nothing's been announced and he could be out of contract in the summer. Um, and yeah, it, it is just an absolutely bewildering time. And on Frank Lampard, I mean, listeners of the Everything is Black and White podcast, you know I'm not a fan at all uh, of Frank. I still don't quite understand how he landed on his feet with this job. I know a club legend, so there's probably the answer, but it's not worked at all and just still seems to me an utterly bizarre move. You've brought someone in to kind of to, to, to stop the, the water flowing out of the dam, so to speak, but he's, he's not really done anything to stop the, the leak, has he? And it's just got worse in many ways. I mean, I just I, I just don't get it. And I've, I was watching the press conference after the Manchester United game. They've just been thumped 4-1 and he's having a joke and a laugh with the reporters. And I get it. Look, he's got one more game to go. He's a club legend. What he did on the pitch, absolutely unrivaled. But I just, if, if I saw that as a Chelsea fan, I don't know, maybe it's me just being a bit too emotional and sensitive. I'd be absolutely raging. You've just been beaten 4 1 off Manchester United, being reminded of how far away from the Champions League you actually are. And you're just having a giggle. Yeah, it's, I think it would be hard to argue that Graham Potter wouldn't have garnered more points in this period. I think. This this last few games, Man City, Man United, Newcastle was always going to be really tough, no matter who was in charge. And I think, as I noted before, the, the way the crowd had turned, Potter, the situation was close to untenable. I think it, it was really turning nasty inside the stadium, despite, you know, you could argue the performances were actually a little bit more solid, if, if nothing else, under him. Um, I think Lampard was brought in... <sighs> It's hard to think, but maybe purely to try and galvanise the squad and and lift lift things. I think it, that's what it was meant to do. It it didn't pay off. They obviously were quickly out of the Champions League. He was less than a weekend and having to face Real Madrid, um, which in itself is kind of bizarre. Going into the biggest game of the season with a new manager who's not really had a great deal of time to prepare anything against the European champions. That's it, it's not an easy task he's had either, but. As you say, I think we've hit these moments with, with Lampard when the performances have been particularly bad. And I think there was a hint of it last night bef- before those jokes where he has just seemed absolutely furious. It, it happened against Brighton. It, it, I think he almost seemed in disbelief what he saw. I think on Sky Sports last night, he really... I, I wouldn't say dug into the players because he always caveats what he says afterwards with saying it, it's there's some understandable reasons behind it. But he's made it really clear that the level in training has not been maybe what he expected and I guess that is maybe worrying for Chelsea fans in itself and again just shows you, you need not just to sell players but you need to keep the right ones who want to you know be at the club and represent the club 
And just a, just a final question on, on, on the management style. I mean, on, would it not have made more sense, and you might tell me, the try to, to, to get a new manager in when they got Lampard in and, and therefore he has, what was it, four or five months of the season to, to look through the players, to make his judgment. You know you're not going to really get European football. So what you can do is you can you can have a period of time to actually really look at these players because, again, we talk about Pochettino coming in. He's only going to have, what, a month if he's lucky before preseason begins? And, again, that's not a long time to really make your judgment. You can sit at home and watch all the TV you want and all the games you want on TV, but there's nothing like being on the training pitch and actually seeing these players in person, is there? Yeah, I think when it happened and, you know, in, in that brief spot, we did have um, a former Graham Potter coach, Bruno Salto, in charge for a long game as well. Um, things moved very quickly there um, to put Lampard in place. Obviously, it wasn't done as soon as, as Potter was sacked, but it did move pretty quickly. And the discussion we kind of had at the time is, does, does a new manager just want to be as far away from this season as possible? Because I think people saw the way it was trending. It didn't feel like things were going to improve a great deal. Um, and obviously they, they didn't at all, as, as it turned out. Although, interestingly, in that game between Potter getting sacked and Lampard arriving, it was a draw against Liverpool. Liverpool and Chelsea were right next to each other in the table at that point, and now Liverpool are perhaps not the season they expected, but, but they are in the European spots. Um, so maybe something could have been salvaged from the season, but it didn't feel like it at the time. Um, I think in an ideal world, what certainly as reporters we maybe expected is maybe to have a bit of a Eric Ten Hag situation at Manchester United where he wasn't officially manager yet, but everybody knew he was coming. He was last couple of weeks maybe around the ground, the training ground, taking things in and... I think Pochettino was in London last week as they came to agree a deal. So so maybe things are being worked on, but it would have been nice for everybody just to have that bit of security to know what was happening, you know, out in the open and just to know the work really was being put in and the discussions being had. Um, because as you say, at the minute, it, it does feel a bit of a damp squib. And in, in fairness to both the players and Lampard, you know, for the last four weeks, nothing to play for but some pride which which the players should do like no denying that but Lampard this last week outside of you know trying to pitch himself for his next job how how are you meant to inspire players with nothing on the line and you're not going to be there honestly I I mean he will get another job somewhere in the Premier League but I don't know how I really don't know how because uh, if you look at the Everton gig and then this gig it's not going well but that's that's someone else's problem uh, let's talk about Sunday then what are we expecting from Chelsea? Frank Lampard said he wants to give a performance and get a result. That means the fans can be sent into the summer with a bit more positivity. That's what he's wanting to do from, from, from day one of his caretaker spell. It hasn't really happened. Is it one of those he says that, he means it, but it's just it's not going to happen? I think that's probably what it feels like at the moment. Um, he kind of alluded to it after the game against Manu where it, it hasn't really mattered whether he started four at the back or five at the back in terms of Chelsea being able to sustain a performance. At Man U, they played four. They were better going forward. Obviously, still struggled to score a goal. They had some really good chances, actually, and played some nice football, but they looked really open at the back, certainly early in the game. Um, when they've played a back three with wing backs, they've been more secure at the back, but not really threatened at all. 
So it's just one of those where there's, there's not felt there's like a productive answer for Chelsea a lot of the time. Um, they have produced good performances and moments where they've pressed really well. Conor Gallagher, albeit he's not always had the final quality to, to you know, really seal in a amazing performance, but his work rate is really good in there. I've mentioned a couple times, obviously, Enzo Fernandez has looked really good, but it's just really fine in a way where the team can all at least have an average performance. Maybe a couple of players play well to really polish it off. Too often this season, nobody's played well. And, and when you don't play well, you're not going to do a great deal. And I think that first game against Newcastle kind of summed up Chelsea's problems in a lot of ways because I just remember Newcastle swarming Chelsea. They didn't have a moment to breathe th- throughout the game. And, you know, the crowd, of course, helped. I think it was really noisy that day. As I'm sure it has been a lot this season. But it was just really stood out how Chelsea didn't offer that to other teams. They weren't in teams' faces. They weren't, as Lampard's kind of said in recent weeks, they weren't making contact. They're too far away too often. And, you know, this is their last chance to show it. Can they? I don't know. It's hard to see. Yeah, I think what stood out was the kind of the lack of fight in them, um, and that's probably been apparent as well throughout the whole entire season. Teams have just wanted it more. That's something Newcastle have had in abundance. They've, you know, they've wanted every ball, they've wanted every tackle and every challenge, and it's been great to watch. And you mentioned there how they swarmed them, and that's when Newcastle have been at their best, when they've been able to press teams really high and force teams into mistakes. We saw against Leicester on Monday, Leicester just sat back and kind of said, Newcastle, you come on to us, you show us what you can do. And as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I don't think Newcastle are quite at the best yet when they're faced with that challenge. That's something they'll have to deal with and and adapt to. Um, Are we expecting Chelsea to have more of the ball on Sunday or do you think they'll apply what Leicester did and and just say at Newcastle, here's the ball, you try and beat us? Yeah, I think think that's what maybe they should do to an extent. Um, They've had some moments against Man City where they've looked... You know, like they can break, certainly through the centre. Ruben Loftus-Cheek carrying the ball, Enzo Fernandez carrying the ball. That's what led to the goal against Man U with Joe Felix having a break um, before finishing that. So I certainly think they should take that into account. Um, but more than anything, they need to find confidence. They haven't had any for a long time. And it's being confident on the ball and having conviction in what they do, regardless of, of you know, the system they play, I guess. But if... Lampard goes the same way, maybe start some of those younger guys, some of the newer guys. It's like Maduke, like Mudrick. They have pace to get in behind. So if you can draw Newcastle a bit further up the pitch, maybe they can have success in behind. And Frank Lampard was asked in the press comments about, you know, your chance to say goodbye. And he said it's not, you know, it's not goodbye, but obviously he's probably wanting a little bit of a maybe maybe a little bit of a party, you know. I mean, but it just sounds like the feeling for that just won't be there. You know, the fans as well as the players just want this season gone. Whereas for Newcastle to sell out the way end, they're going to be down on the boats, down the Thames beforehand. They're going to be boisterous. The sun's going to be shining. They're going to be in such good spirits. It's going to be really interesting because you have one team severely down in the dumps, one team on a high because they qualified for the Champions League when no one expected them to. Uh, you know, and that feeling I think is going to play a massive part on Sunday. Yeah, in fairness, the Chelsea support is certainly the away contingent at Old Trafford. They they were pretty noisy. Um, they were still singing Frank Lampard's name, giving him a lot of support. They took things in good spirits as only you can when, when things are going badly. But 
as you said, the atmosphere has been lost a little bit at Stamford Bridge, um, probably understandably so. I said it's not been full for a long time now, and I think you know the demographic of, of the of the support has changed a little bit. Maybe a few more tourists who aren't you know as, as familiar with the songs and things like that. So it struggled to have that galvanising atmosphere. I say maybe with it being last game of the season, there could be a little bit more, but. I think there will be a real difference between the away support and the home support, and that will be noticeable, particularly if things don't look like they're panning out very well early doors. Uh, Newcastle and I have got a few injury concerns. Eddie Howe had his press conference today, which is Friday morning, and he said, I don't think we've got anyone left to rest. The end of the season is coming a good time for us because we would have been really stretched. Joe Linton and Manquillo will miss the game, and we also have the other injuries we're stretched, but it will give us a chance to have a look at one or two things. So from a Newcastle point of view, you may be thinking, well, that's going to be Elliot Anderson starting again. Does 17-year-old Lewis Miley get a look in? Maybe even Jamal Lewis could come back into the fold for one final time. You know, Nick Pope's obviously, he's out injured, so it's likely to be Martin Dubrovka. Um, they are suffering with a few injuries, but it's going to be interesting to see what team they put out. I think a lot of people would like to see Lewis Miley given it given a run out. But I think one thing's for certain anyhow won't be picking a team from a sentimental point of view to allow players to say goodbye and what have you. Not that, that there's that there's many heading out. But um it's certainly going to be interesting. I you know one big name that potentially could be missing is Bruno Gimaresh. Um often when I ask people on this episode about who they're most fearing, Bruno seems to be the man that they pick. Um, have you been impressed with him? And if he is missing, I guess that's just a big boost for Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, as you say, he's a, he is a class act on the ball and you know has that sort of nastier side to him as well. I think it would have been interesting to see him up against Enzo Fernandez, especially with that Brazil-Argentina sort of rivalry there as well. Um, that would have been interesting. I think Joe Linton is certainly an interesting one for me. I think he, he's been brilliant when I've seen him this season and provides that driving force. But... Probably what will stick out most for Chelsea fans is um, Callum Wilson and Isaac. Uh, just having people who know where to be in the box and, and can be at the right moment don't need too many chances. I think that will be the big test for Chelsea's defence in many respects, but it'll show Chelsea what they're missing as well. Is that their biggest weakness, the, the inability to defend? I know you said... Early on in the season, they looked like they were quite tight at the back, but it has it has dropped off of late. Um, the biggest weakness is definitely scoring goals, um, but defensively, I think they like say in the back four they they've looked less secure. If it's a back three, generally they're pretty good. It's just some individual moments where I mean Wesley Fofana had a bit of a nightmare against Manchester United, give away a penalty, and then passed the ball um, that led to Marcus Rashford's goal straight to. Manu, um, but yeah, it's it's scoring goals. They miss so many chances. They don't always create a lot of chances, but it, the the misses have certainly piled up. And you know, often it's not hitting the target at all. Never mind not getting uh, a goal. And that that really has been it. I think it's thirty seven goals, no, in thirty seven games now, maybe. Um, and you know, you, you're not going to get very far scoring that that few. Yeah, not a great tally. And obviously Newcastle very good at the back, although it's been a while, hasn't it, since they've 
Oh, well, no, it was nil-nil on, on, on Monday, so they have eventually kept a, another clean sheet. But it had been a little while since they've managed to do that. Uh, but still, a, a very low tally of goals they have conceded. And I think I'm going to be backing them to keep a clean sheet on Sunday and to win as well. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 3 one, no, 3-0 to Newcastle. Uh, Scott, what are you thinking? Um, because it does have those last day vibes, I think I'll probably go for 1-0 Newcastle just because Chelsea do score so few. Um, That's it. From, from a Newcastle point of view, do you know what? Our listeners who are listening to this right now will be shouting down their phones. We don't get, I don't think they care. They don't care. Newcastle in the Champions League, what? Third or fourth, it doesn't really matter. The Champions League was the important bit. They've done the job. They'll have a damn good time on Sunday. I think the one thing that is refreshing, Eddie Howe, as I said, will not want the standards to slip, regardless of it being the last day of the season. But from Newcastle fans' point of view, they're just going to enjoy enjoy the afternoon. Um, if you want another stat to make you feel better, I think Chelsea, from the top 10, have only beaten Aston Villa, and that's when Steven Gerrard was in charge. So. There we go. There we go. Usually I'm the man with stats, but we've only had one in today's show and Scott will will take that one most certainly. Thank you very much for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. A pleasure, as always, to speak to you. To you guys listening, please head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all your latest Newcastle news, including the live blog of Sunday's game. And do remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider. Mm-hmm.